Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as All opinions are Alan Alders. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Tony Wilson. G'day, Steve. Tony, it is excellent to be speaking with you. Can you tell me, please, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, I would describe myself as a failed lawyer and footballer who embarked upon a reality TV documentary-making adventure and propelled himself into a media life. That is excellent. An excellent way of describing what you do. Yeah, at the moment I'm, I've got fingers in many pies. Um, certainly Twitter's one of them. I must say it's been a, a, a fairly embracing thing. I've been around it, I think, since about 2009. Uh, and, it's, um, and I've kind of, uh, I've covered sort of different, uh, different activities on it. You know, I had the, mm. the jokey time and I had the uh, political time and I've, I'm currently in a, a reasonably promotional time where I promote a lot of the speeches that I put up on, on my other Twitter handle, which is Speakola. Which is such a great website. I've been completely amazed at, um, I guess, just not only the depth and breadth of content, but the tenor of some of that content that's there. Um, how do you explain Speakola? Well, it's it's little tagline does it quite well, which is all speeches great and small. And um, the idea for it is that um, I've been a massive fan of speeches over the years. Um, mm-hmm. I would have I'm probably a visitor to the I Have a Dream speech on YouTube once a year, and and uh, and always find that you know one of the shared content I found on the net and on Facebook is that often you know the commencement speeches come around and. And, and I've always really enjoyed that. And I thought, oh, why don't I try and you know, curate those? Why don't I try to make a website that, that, puts, um, that, that promotes the speeches that I really like? And, and mm-hmm. with YouTube and embedding content, um, that's reasonably easy. Uh, and I thought, oh, well, maybe the additional element, you know, I've also feel like I've done wedding speeches and I've even unfortunately done a eulogy and um, that there's punters as well. There's people like me and there's people like, um, you know, just my friends who see and do great speeches themselves. Um, why don't I sort of combine the two elements, put the, the famous speeches with the not famous and just have this, this great portal um, that'll be a, it'll be a way for people to, to speak better themselves. They can visit and see examples of great speeches. Uh, and at the same time, as, as I think you were just saying, is that it's, it's just very entertaining. There's, there's sad speeches, there's funny speeches, there's disastrous speeches, there's um, physical speeches, you know, and it's, and it's in every category. You could not send me a speech that I couldn't put up. Which is so great. What have you learned about public speaking from collating all this? Oh, there's, there's, recurring, um, there's recurring things that occur in great speeches. So um, I, I often find that it's um, storytelling. I mean, I guess that, mm-hmm. that's self-explanatory, and, but maybe it isn't. Um, you know, the worst speeches, I think, are ones which say, you know, a father of the bride who stands up and says, um, <laughs> welcome to our wedding. Oh, we're just really proud of our daughter. She's just our pride and joy. 
Um, and she's marrying uh, such a nice guy. What a great addition to the family. Th- thank you and, you know, and uh, welcome. That's, that's, that's an okay speech in the sense that it's fluent Ooh. and he didn't um or, uh, or embarrass anyone. But at the same time, if a father of the bride can throw in, I remember the day she was born, and Alan Kohler's got a father of the bride speech up, the, the ABC um, mm. uh, analyst, and Alan Kohler talks about bringing Chinese food into the delivery suite and the look on his wife's face when he produces, you know, his, his chow min, um, just, just how you can lose popularity with your birthing partner. Uh, and, you know, and immediately that's a better father of the bride speech because we're mm. laughing along. And, and so, so I guess detail is one of the things that I've learned. And anyone who has a story with de- detail, uh, and then you, then you learn things about construction, you know, that, that you need to have um, to build a story and you need to have a point um, and clever wording, uh, delivery, all those things kind of interplay to make a great speech. Have you ever made a great speech? Um, look, I've got quite a few of mine up there. I, I put them up mainly because I'm trying to encourage other people to do so. And, and so um, I think some of mine up there are better than others. Uh, the best speech I've ever given, uh, unfortunately, was that eulogy. I, I um, put everything into that. It was my best friend. Um, mm-hmm. He was also my best man. And he died in 2013. Uh, he committed suicide. And... I remember writing that speech and it kind of was like playing a football game. It, it tore me apart writing it. And, you know, but in many ways it is my, one of my greatest bits of writing. It, it had, you know, you know, what I was talking about in terms of, um, you know, had a strong opening. You know, the, the, the moment I met Chris Daffy was he, he was at an article, Clark, welcome. And he just, <laughs> he, um, he fainted in the cocktail drinks that we were having. So wow. all the new article clerks were there and he fainted. And he just went, plunk, straight back. And he was out cold, lying on his back. And then he came to, but the, by that stage, there were probably 45, 50 lawyers and article clerks all huddled around him. And he threw his hand up and said, hi, Chris Daffy, you know, to introduce <laughs> himself on his back and I was just like man this guy's extraordinary like the speed of mind in that pressure embarrassment situation to to actually get a joke out that funny it was just incredible and so I got to describe that moment of meeting him um and 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 really some people you know I just put up a, a a speech today for Tom Hafey, the famous Richmond football coach, um, mm. and KB, uh, Kevin Bartlett, gave his eulogy. Some people just lend themselves to, to great speeches because their stories are so uh, idiosyncratic, and Daff had that. You know, He was a, an author. He was a, just a comic genius. Um, and so there were so many great stories that I shared with him, um, and it made it very easy to write a good speech. And, so, and, th- and then I think that the end of that speech, uh, why I was particularly proud of it is that you know, we were dealing with a suicide and it's a tough one to talk about, but I, I tried not to completely ignore it and, um, and tried to talk a, bit, a little bit about the, 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 you know, the anger, I guess, that, that we feel um, sometimes when we lose someone that close to us um, in that way. And, 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 and so I guess yeah, that's my best one. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's, I would imagine, fairly tough, you know, losing your best mate and, and I have read 
the eulogy that, that you've published. It's it's wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, he's very well missed, and um, you know it's been a it's been a, a strange couple of years because uh, we had a bridal party with six people, and you know, and I I have put um my wedding speech up as well and um, unfortunately I don't have the text of his best man speech because that was terrific um, and no one videoed it uh, but the, you know, of our bridal party of six we've now lost two to suicide which is just uh, incredible it seems uh, that those odds are, are, are just you know just inc- completely unfair and, and it's something that you know my wife and I have really battled with over the last couple of years I can really understand that yeah how has collecting these speeches helped you as an author? Um, I think it's always great to be exposed to other people's writing, and, and you know I've um, I'm a prolific reader and and really enjoy especially reading novels, but reading speeches has um, has has been a invaluable way of learning different techniques and 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 also different storytelling methods. Um, you know, like the the way that, say, a David Foster Wallace um, constructs his This Is Water um, commencement speech, one of the great speeches of all time that he gave at, at, um, at a college in 2005. Um, and that is trying to understand... It's a speech about empathy. Um, mm. uh, and, and he's trying to understand the mindset of the, of the annoying person that you confront at every turn. So when someone pushes in front of you in the car, we assume they're just boorish idiots that um, are, uh, that are taking up space in our community. Um, but but he says, is it possible that that person is on their way to hospital with their sick child, and we'd cut them some slack? And 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 he basically asks us to 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 do those questions throughout, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and. To see someone who would take that um, careful analytical approach to the human mind, to kind of try to enter the human brain and be um, uh, and sort of dissect why people are how they are, you know, I, I would never have attempted something like that. Uh, but but reading that David Foster Wallace speech makes me wonder: Can I actually tell people what it's like to be? The father of a kid with a disability, which is which is my situation. My uh, youngest, my my youngest boy um, turned five today. He's got cerebral palsy, um, which you know he's a spectacular kid, but but you know lots of challenges, no walking, limited eyesight, and and how would I have done that before the Speak Ola project? Well, I'd do it differently to how I do it now, and it's and it's been the the reading of um, different approaches. Stan Grant's speech on mm. racism. Um, the, the way that he injected the personal into a you know a, a, a societal issue, um, mm. you know that, it's kind of it, it, it was outstanding. Like the the methodology, yeah. the the execution, the delivery, um, all, all those things um, you learn by just by exposure. And so you know I'm up to 700 plus speeches on the site, and um, and there's no doubt that it's improved my writing in that sense. And and I, and I think. Often, some of these speeches are delivered at times of great stress, um, especially the eulogies. Um, sometimes they're delivered at times of great celebration. Uh, but 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 the the ones that kind of come forward and the ones that people send me um, usually have a spark, and uh, and I'm confident that you know my ability to find a spark is improving by seeing all these sparks. Yeah, 
the 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 collection the the raised tide rises all boats, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Happy birthday to your son, by the way. That's excellent. Yeah, it's great. He's really excited, and uh, you know, we had uh, it's one of the things you find with um, cerebral palsy kids. Um, they can be, you know, visually he's challenged, and and we've had other birthdays where he's found it hard to enjoy it. It's a different routine and um, a lot of stimuli. And um, this birthday is the first one where he felt like he's really loved it, like really gelled with the idea that he's the special one and, um, and, and uh, he's, he's really having a very nice day. Yeah, that, that is great. So can I ask, what is your experience of family? I had a wonderful childhood. Um, I, there's no, uh, for me, there's kind of, uh, there's no story of, of desperation and hardship that I'm <laughs> overcoming and trying to come to terms with. I, I had a, a, a privileged, lucky childhood. Um, my, I have three brothers and, uh, sorry, I have three siblings and uh, two of those sisters and both doctors. Um, my brother, uh, very close to me. He's uh, um, he's currently working at the Footy Almanac, um, an online adventure of its own. Uh, he's the general manager there, um, and before that, he was a physio. And you know, and I was a lawyer. So it, when we went through school, um, there was a sense, you know, we were we were lucky kids. We all we all found mm. school pretty um, good and and reasonably, you know, wasn't wasn't massive challenge for us to do okay at school. So my parents were lucky as well, I guess. Um, and we went through, and Dad had a you know, reasonably comfortable job. He was working in finance, um, superannuation, and financial advising, and and so there was always enough. And you know, cause so so really, it was a very happy childhood that was really dominated by football. Actually, I, I was mm-hmm. um, very keen to be a, a professional footballer, as Dad had been, uh, and that and that paternal relationship was particularly strong. Um, and and Mum was very uh, keen on reading, and is very keen on reading. And so I, I kind of feel as though the love of literature and books um, sort of came down through her. So kind of the two great passions of my life um, have been instilled by um, respective parents. Um, and, you know, I'd met Tam in 1999 and, and the, the movement from my family being that group of six that I mentioned um, to being my own group of six now um, has has occurred over these 17 years. So um, our first daughter, Polly, was born in 07 and um, Harry and Jack followed. Um, and now Alice is only one year old. Um, she's our youngest. So we, we've got four kids ourselves. So And it actually even reflects the uh, balance that I had as a kid uh, with girls, two girls and two boys, with the girls on the end and the boys in the middle. That's exactly reflected for those of you who play Mastermind at home. Uh, black, white, white, black um, is exactly matched uh, in my own family now. I'm not sure what the odds of that are. Someone with quicker math skills than me will tell me. Um, but certainly it's it's uh, it's nice and I, I feel as though you know I've got a, a great... Um, I've had such a fortunate childhood myself. I'd love to give my kids the same uh, sort of comfort and um, and sense of well-being, and um, and I feel as though that's going pretty well. And so, so family for me is a, a positive thing. Um, I like spending time with uh, both batches, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and and it's a, it's a positive word, which is wonderful, I'm sure, for your children because they would see dad's interaction with his family and experience that themselves in aunties and uncles and grandparents and, and that kind of stuff. 
beyond just mum and dad loving us. Um, that's, in my opinion, for what it's worth, so critical to, to kids having a, a rounded, broader, extended family experience and, and uh, relishing in that, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And, and, and they've even had the double bonus where my siblings who are so close to me, um, one of them lives in Darwin, uh, but Pippa, she lives up in Darwin, but um, they've all had kids at the same time. And so we've got the kind of bizarre situation of right. th- 13 grandchildren under the age of 12. And, uh, and um, 12 of them are actually under the age of 10. So, so it's an incredibly tight bunch um, and they get together and tear it up and it's really quite spectacular to see. Family gatherings, Christmas, that sort of thing yeah. would be chaos. <laughs> it is, it is complete uh, chaos. Yeah, we have the uh, grandparents' gift every year, we call it, and they have to yeah. run down a steep hill at Red Hill. <laughs> and it's fantastic. <laughs> when they were tiny, they'd just smash, they'd fall into each other, and it was like watching the, the, the smash-up derbies on happy days. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> my dad grandpa has actually stopped at going down the steepest part of the hill he doesn't he doesn't have the same sense of um yep. destructiveness as i have i quite like <laughs> i quite like the skin off the knees yeah, but uh, yeah. dad said that he's got more of an occupational health and safety brain and he's um <laughs> he's put an end to it and made them run down the flat he softened so much <laughs> it's crazy what prompted you back it feels like forever ago now to to change course career wise to go you know what I want to try my hand at this media thing I want to have a go at this reality gig well I was quite unhappy in the job so I was a lawyer first year solicitor at Minter Allison uh, in 1990 so just some small law firm yeah 1997 it was I started articles in 1996 um, hot off the heels of my last attempt to try to make AFL footy which failed. I, I was down at Essendon in uh, that pre-season of 1996 and um, and went into law miserable. And I, I was miserable probably for two reasons. And one was that that AFL dream popped that year. So I, I really yeah. now knew I wasn't going to make it. And, um, and I was stuck in what had been my... I'd been doing law for no good reason other than it, I'd got in and it fitted yeah. in well with footy training and it was no skin off my back really because I was, yeah. um, when you're a law student, at contact hours are kind of low. It was 12 to 15 hours a week or something like that and, and so I could get to training and, and I'd never sort of imagined my life stretching ahead of me as a lawyer but now I had to. It was, you know, I was not yeah. going to make football and... I was a lawyer and I didn't like it. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting career because it's sold to us when we're in secondary school. I think um, the kids who have more of a kind of a skill with words and, and you know, my favourite subjects were English and that sort of thing um, and history. And for those of us who liked writing analytical, um, persuasive essays, creative essays, um, they're normally pushed towards law rather than, you know, science type degrees. Um, and, and at a private school like mine, I was at Campbell Grammar, there's kind of a reluctance, I think, to say, why don't you go and do arts or why don't you go and do education um, because that seems almost like if you're getting good marks, it sort of seems like you're wasting it or something. And so it takes some courage to actually stand up and say, I don't need to go into the highest score I get. I can go into what I think I'd like to do. 
but I hadn't thought very carefully about what I wanted to do other than teaching. Oh, sorry, other than footy. And um, so I was a bit of a mess because I hated this. And, and law is quite a, um, it's a, very, it's a precision uh, game, you know. You've got to actually get your advice right. It's about, if you, it's about closing off the holes in the sieve and, and making sure that you give the deal that your client wants or you cover every base that your litigant needs to cover. And so it's, it's actually the opposite to writing picture books or novels or making documentaries or movies. It's... Um, or, or writing comedy. It's it's not about opening your brain. It's about um, I mean it, it, it's about really closing it, like making sure that you are as precise as you can be. And so it suits those analytical people, those very careful, organised, analytical thinkers. Uh, make very good lawyers, and and I wasn't really one of those. And and I didn't particularly like doing seventy hours a week in pursuit of a dream I didn't have. And so I got quite unhappy and. And it took, um, I actually remember the meeting, it was at the noodle bar and, and I told Dad I was, um, I was ha- unhappy and he knew I was. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, well, what do you want to do? And, and I remember saying something like in a bit of a half, it was a bit off the top of the head even, I said, oh, I'd like to be a writer. <laughs> and he said, well, oh, for someone who wants to be a writer, you don't actually do any writing. And, <laughs> and that was a very good point. Um, and so... And so I took some annual leave and I started trying to write what was effectively a Bill Bryson-type travel memoir. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been overseas on an on a exchange as part of my law degree and I'd travelled a bit around the edges and I thought, you know, I'd kept a diary and tried to write sort of a comedy, um, 20-something trip around Europe, which um, Sean Condon wrote a brilliant book called uh, Sean and David's Long Drive that was very influential for me back in the 90s. And, and I wanted to do something similar. In fact, this was just before he did that. Um, so he beat me to the punch. But what what happened was that while I was writing that, a friend called me up. Her name's Celeste Gear, And Celeste has actually gone on to win a Logie. Um, she won a Logie for Best Documentary uh, with her Bushfires documentary a couple of years ago. Um, and she's also um, done some other great work. Um, and she's a prominent ad director now as well. She did that wonderful NAB ad the other day uh, about um, interviewing kids about equal pay. Do you remember that? Um, oh, where yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They pay the boy in the family 10 bucks and they pay the girl $5 for doing their jobs around the house and watch their yeah. faces when they find out they don't get the same as their brothers. Um, mm. And that was a really effective ad and she made that. Um, so Celeste rang me up and said, oh, they're doing this race around the world. Um, they're coming down to RMIT to talk about you know, how to enter. Do you want to come? And I'd watched it a bit. I'd seen John Safran and Olivia Rousset and others and thought, you know, I'll, I'll have a go. And, and so I uh, went along to the seminar and it was, I think it cost us 25 bucks to go. It was a great little money spinner on the side for the producers of races. <laughs> I'm not sure I went back through the ABC, to be honest. Um, but I went to RMIT to, and saw these how to make a documentary. And I sort of vowed to enter. Um, and thought, you know, I've paid my 25 bucks. There's 800 people sitting here. All of us are going to walk out of this uh, lecture theatre thinking we're going to enter, but I'm actually going to enter. And um, and I did. I, I found a story in my local area. I had to have a four-minute story, and um, there was a soccer coach um, who was teaching kids, you know, insane sort of recently emigrated Italian who'd got it quite high in the Serie C um, in Italy, and he... 
and he was teaching six-year-olds as though they were going to the World Cup and <laughs> really, really <laughs> overbearing coach and he'd abuse them in Italian and, and, the, and the translators would then um, soften it because they were the parents. So he'd say, um, yep. you're hopeless. You're hopeless. It's no good. I can't, I can't work with you. But why, why don't you try for me? And uh, they, they'd um, translate it to these little six-year-olds as, yeah, you're going really well. Stick out. <laughs> We can still win. Come on. <laughs> Very funny. So I had that. And, and um, as I, and in fact, you can look it up. It's on my website under um, under TV, I think, on my website, tonywilson.com.au. Um, so that, that entry video went in. And I must say, I, I went through that second half of, 2000, of 1997 thinking, I will get on this show. Like, that was... I did subtitles. I spent $800 on the video editing at a wedding video place. I sort of thought, this is just so good a story. Who's going to have better than this? Who's going to have subtitles? Who's going to have a character this funny? And I did later find out that I was ranked number one of the interviewees that they chose. They Mm. had 36 interviewees. And so my entry was ranked number one in Australia. And, And so... And so it, it really was good. And I was right to be sort of optimistic that I'd be a chance. Um, and, and, and that's how it happened. So I got into the interviews and got into the last 13 and then got picked in the last eight. It, it, well, as someone who consumed that uh, when, when the show aired, it looked incredible as far as an experience goes. Oh, what an experience. So the show, for those who don't know it, younger people, and it was Race Around the World. And... Um, and John this Saffron is when really the ABC had, had money. Uh, yeah, and and it was it was done on it was ten countries in a hundred days. You had to make a four minute story in each country, and then send it back to the ABC. And it was all pre laptops and and mm. uh, but it was the first digital broadcast cameras that were small enough to do this sort of project on. They were they were not great. They were one chip Sony's, um, but they still were broadcastable and um, and the footage stood up okay. So we'd get sent over with our camera, no sound recorders, no cameraman, no recorders, no, no producers, no just us. And so no children to recover. Yeah, and so we went on this trip, and you know we had to choose ten countries. Um, they in seven different zones of the world. You had to go to nine different zones of the world. You had to go to five zones, and you couldn't go to more than seven. So you had to, um, you know, I chose Bolivia, Idaho in the USA, Alaska, Italy, Lebanon, France, Israel, Kenya, India, and China, and um, and it's just amazing. I went to, you know, in Lebanon, I went to the Golan Heights and heard machine gun fire. Where, you know, this, I was interviewing this um, this farmer who couldn't shoot pigs that were eating his crop uh, because if he went up close to the Israeli border with a gun to shoot the pigs they'd think he was Hezbollah and so he gave this magnificent treatise on on what's wrong with the world and and what's wrong with the Middle East and why is there war and war is only destroying the lives of farmers and why can't we shoot pigs and it all came back to pigs and he had um and he had a can on a stick that he was running around with trying to frighten away pigs and he finished off with a plea for me to send over an Australian bride to him and it was, he was sort of 70 years old. It was just magnificent. So you sort of find a guy like that and, um, 
and just it was all worthwhile. So um, the job each in each country was to try to find a story as good as that, and uh, that that was probably my favourite. But um, yeah, as you say, would, enormous highs, quite a lot of lows as well, because um, because it was so lonely and so stressful. Mm. Um, but but at the same time, who's who's going to listen to my uh, whinging about the difficulties of my uh, taxpayer-funded <laughs> trip around the world when I was twenty-five? <laughs> and and it was. It was just so high pressure. You guys had to get those stories in. The show was on every week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and that's where we got it. We didn't see every story each week because, like you said, 10 days in a country. Yeah. So it was, you know, sort of this week someone's travelling or it didn't quite match yeah, up or that's whatever. Right. But... So, so a lot of ours, was, they got in the can effectively. So they'd be behind us. Um, mm. and, and, and I came back um, with all my 10 stories done and they were only up to about story five on the TV. So I had a... If I had to say what's been the, you know, I don't think I don't walk down the street and get stopped uh, very often. But you know, for a couple of months in 1998, you know, it was uh, free beers on Brunswick Street and uh, <laughs> and uh, and people approaching me saying, "Oh, I saw you on the weekend. Why are you here? You're meant to be in France." Um, but the world, yeah, it was uh, it was it was just great and um, and you know unrepeatable and, and in a way you know like it's created this life I've got and um, you know it, it's an opportunity that didn't exist before or since you know I'm the karaoke champion of race around the world and, and uh, I will die that I think so yes, so there's a there's an element of you know how lucky am I you know because you you've seen lots of people get into the media in different ways um, with your job Steve and, and your website but you know that was a very uh, unique and short-lived mm. way to get some prominence in the media yeah, we only we only had one season of Race Around the World, and then we had Race Around Australia, I think. Yeah, well, they had two seasons of Race Around the World, so I wasn't on. Oh, sorry, yeah. I wasn't on the John Saffron year. He was the year before me, and and really they put it on the map, and our series killed it, is what he always tells me, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he's not that far wrong, to be honest. He's not that far wrong. Our series wasn't as good as their series. I'm not. Uh, I think my stories were pretty good, but uh, probably. Uh, on balance, they had more interesting characters. Um, it was a hell of a class through those two seasons, though. The people oh, that were involved and what they've since gone on to. And it's not even um, the pro- ones that have prominence. You know, like Shona McKenna came, um, runner-up to me in my year. She's working for the UN mm. and has worked um, wow. in you know rebuilding countries. And Kim Trail has done pieces for um, for, for Dateline and. Um, she's been a really good documentary maker and you've got Bentley Dean has won AFI awards you know he's yeah. just a fantastic documentary filmmaker John Saffron you know everyone knows what John's done he's a terrific comic voice his books are amazing um, mm. you know so what I always say is what the show had was that it had a huge demand on the person and so you know where reality TV went was to sort of create difficult artificial difficult situations you know like get, I'm a celebrity get me out of here mm-hmm. is an artificial environment um, where the hardship is created by the producers Big Brother similarly um, the voice I guess is promoting a genuine talent and the singing shows promote a genuine talent oh, they create their own hardships though yeah that's right and they and they play them up so you yeah. know if if I was if I was um, being cast for Race Around the World in the modern era you know I'd have to 
play up my keratoconus or something, you know, my uh, <laughs> wrinkly corneas I've got. I, I don't know what I'd <laughs> try and, you know, get the heartstrings of the audience going on. Uh, but what, what I think Race Around the World had was that it, it genuinely asked, um, it, it asked a, a, a very difficult um, uh, it was a difficult task. It was a really lonely, mm. difficult task, and quite a creative task. And so it was. It was really um, promoting storytellers um, and people with with a fair amount of courage and get up and go. Um, and and so 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 it was genuine talent that was coming through. And, and so a few, a lot of us have had really good lives after it. Um, and 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 what we what we see in reality TV, I think, too often is that you know it's kind of. Um, it's it's not asking for, for talent. It's asking for sort of extreme personalities and annoyance, um, yeah. and that the fun is laughing at how annoying or how stupid or how different this individual is, um, rather than sort of um, getting them to to showcase their talent. Like you can sort of imagine. Let's make the if you make the voice about songwriting. So if you said here we are, who can write the greatest song or who can be the best, effectively make a battle of the bands, you know, with original content. Not, no one would watch, of course, <laughs> because we, we, we'd much prefer to watch um, karaoke than we would and, and you know, and, and marvel along at songs we know and love. But, but imagine what, who you could promote out of that. So if, yes. if the ABC, why isn't the ABC, given its mantra is to... You know, to find the gaps that the it would still be quite a popular show to have the voice, but with original content music, um, and suddenly you might have Paul Kelly at 22 um, mm. discovered through that show. You know, and, and instead of and, and and yes, it wouldn't have the same ratings as the voice because it's not as easily just digestible. But just imagine what it would offer. In the same way as the Rockwiz offers something different to Spicks and Specs, um, you know, this this could be a grungier. Uh, it would be a brilliant outlet to have um, to have original songwriting and and performance um, in a version of the voice. But they won't do it, and uh, they won't do race around the world. They won't do race around the world because it's too dangerous, and you know, it's a shame. It's a podcast game show in the making. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I do know that if I was somehow magically transported into the opportunity to uh, be in Race Around the World, uh, my first film would be uh, The Perils of Being a Morbidly Obese Man in an Increasingly Fitzbo-Centric World uh, and Just Trying to Find a Seat on a Plane Where I Only Take Up One Seat. <laughs> well, I haven't seen it done as a story. I think it's uh, you could be the man for it, Steve. Oh, look, the, the, the fat... Celebration is a love it, and the fat shamers would be all over it. But I'd be, I'd be the modern day man's Marina Divine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. It's dangerous territory, but still, if they're talking about you, that could, that's how you make it nowadays. Yeah, apparently. So, what are you going to achieve in the next twelve months, Tony? Well, I can, I, I can happily announce. I haven't even announced this as a human of Twitter yet, but um, I can announce it on your podcast that I have a film in the film festival, the Melbourne International Film Festival. That's excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so I've been working on this for the last two and a half years. Um, it's the reboot of my documentary career that has stalled really since around 2000 or 2001 where I used to make small pieces for the ABC and Channel 7 before that, but, but um, it's my first crack at it for 15 years, I guess. Um, and the topic is the 1967 tour of Ireland by a bunch of VFL 
well now AFL, but VFL back then, footballers, and they, they were nice. they were greats of the game. So Jezelinko, mm. uh, um, Barassi, Bobby Skilton, uh, Ian Law, Hassaman, uh, really fantastic players. John Nichols, uh, and we went around. Um, I was I was the idea was given to me by a guy called Rob Heath, a barrister in Melbourne. And Rob um, said, oh, this trip, it's just amazing. You know, it was all funded. The VFL weren't involved. It was all funded by the ex-umpire, Harry Beitzel, who took them. <laughs> and it's just this bizarre trip where they went, go on to New York and they play a whole lot of New York cops. And Ron Barassi has his um, jaw broken. In the, sorry, John Ron Barassi has his nose broken in a big sort of fist fight against the New York cops. And, oh. and uh, anyway, he told me this story of this world trip that they went on. Um, and... I thought, oh, that's a really... We should, let's just go around and speak to the survivors and kind of capture the story. And we, mm. we've been doing that for two and a half years and it'll be in the film festival um, as part of the Talking Pictures Project, the um, Melbourne Great. International Film Festival. So it's my debut feature film, Steve. That's one of my achievements in the next 12 months. That's no small achievement, that's for sure. Thank you. And, uh, and other than that, I'm continuing to build Speakola. So I'm up to 700 mm-hmm. speeches now. Um, so I've done all the speeches that are on the Wikipedia list of great speeches of the 20th century. They've, they've all gone up on Speakola where possible. Um, I am aiming to get a 1,000 speeches up by August, which will be the one-year anniversary of Speakola. And I haven't really ever worked out how to make money out of Speakola. It takes a lot of time. Um, so I've sort of been reluctant to do advertising. But the uh, so I guess the next year is working out whether I can keep doing Speakola. Um, mm. And apart from that, I'll, I'm writing some picture uh, some kids' books. I've got a picture book coming out. Um, I've got a book that's in the finalist. It's one of the um, long-listed books for Book of the Year um, this year. Find out on the 20th of May if the cow tripped over the moon gets in the shortlist uh, for the CBCA Book of the Year. Such a fun book. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's going really well. Um, And so Cow Tripped Over the Moon's got a sequel coming out um, on its heels, which is called uh, uh, Hickory Dickory Dash. Um, (laughs) Similarly uses the digital time, uh, digital clock motif that the Cow Tripped Over the Moon shows the seven previous attempts over the course of the night mm. by the cow on the moon. And Hickory Dickory Dash is a room-by-room room analysis of of the mouse that runs up the clock. It's kind of... She's looking for her kids, and the clock is actually where she's going to find them. But it's a room-by-room room chase, really, as, the, as a cat tries to catch her, and she's looking for her kids that have gone missing. Um, so... That one's coming reasonably soon, um, probably a year or so away still. Um, mm. Laura Wood does those illustrations. Uh, and I'm doing some books for, um, for HarperCollins, some footy books, a fictionalised childhood of the, the Selwood boys. Um, Excellent. So I've been writing there. I've actually gone and interviewed them and, and got their childhood stories from Bendigo, and I've been uh, writing those up. Wow. You, you've got a full year ahead, young sir. I have. It's it's a very busy time and uh, and really fun as well with all the action at home and four kids under ten and yeah, you know, it's really, it's really it's really been a. It'll be. I think I'll look back on it as a as an amazing time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tony, for uh, your time today. Please know the things that you've said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much. 
I appreciate that, Steve, and, and uh, well done on the podcast and on the website as well. And we've had a bit of a sharing moment this week when uh, Decider TV were good enough to... Um, you did all the transcriptions for me for the for your site for the Logie speeches and I was really grateful that you gave them over for Speak All of the transcripts so thanks a lot for helping me out it's my pleasure mate the very least I can do for an excellent excellent website thank you now very clearly you are on on Twitter are there any other social accounts you want to alert people to yeah, so I've, um, I'm at by Tony Wilson with BY uh, on Twitter um, Speakola is at Speakola underscore I'd love to get a few more followers on that. Um, and Speak Ola's got a Facebook page, um, which is a great way to get across the speeches. I sort of drip three or four through there um, a day. Um, and uh, and also, I'm on Facebook as well. You'll find me somewhere on Facebook as Tony Wilson Author. So uh, friend me or join up or whatever it is. Um, I appreciate it. It's something. <laughs> This has been Humans at Twitter, and I can confirm that at by Tony Wilson is indeed human.